This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. So incredible, satisfied after Champions League, always difficult. Play many players that don't play regularly, don't play the last game in Paris. They were sad because they want to play. And, but they did what they have to do, a professional player, show his sadness or his discomfort on the grass, on the pitch. And they did it, all of them, brilliantly. So the first half, we struggled, but it's normal. You need patience, you need time. But the second half, we attacked much better. Uh, for the quality the players that we had on the pitch, we should attack what we attack in the second half. And, uh, and after the quality for our striker, especially Serkin, the first goal and the other one, make the difference. Like you said, we are one step closer. So one more game, we'll be champion. Off the ball kicks off now on BFM 89.9. Yeah, the champagne is nicely chilled by now in Pep Guardiola's fridge. One more win away. Just one win away. It's Monday night. It's off the ball with me, Ross. Welcome to the show. And also welcome to three gents who are going to be talking football with me. Uh, Nicholas Arnold is here. Hello, Nick. Hello, Ross. Good you weekend. Bummed about not, you bummed about not catching the match last night? Yeah, um, a lot to come on that in a few moments. Uh, Arvin Sidhu is also here. Hello, Arvin. Hello, everyone. No postponing of this show today, unlike last night. So, Well, the fans tried to storm our virtual studio, but we, we, we soon showed them the way. <laughs> Craig, Craig Wilkie joins us as well. Hello, Craig. Good evening, Ross. I'm not sure who it is that they want out, but uh, I'm sure we'll <laughs> talk to them afterwards. <laughs> Uh, as usual, you can tweet at BFM Radio um, or you can find us individually on Twitter. You can also follow us on social media. We have BFM Football set up on Instagram and on Facebook as well. Right, we were hoping to open the show with uh, the stunning Manchester United 4-2 win over Liverpool last night at Old Trafford. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, as we all know, the game postponed. Um, the official line is the, it was a collective decision from police, from both clubs, the Premier League and local authorities. That's according to the Premier League. They're now working together with both clubs to find a suitable date for, uh, for the game to go ahead. But um, yeah, storm in a teacup, was it something big? What has the protesting achieved here, Craig Wilkie? Wow. So many questions, so many things to consider. I know, triple barrel, right? Let's start at the start. Fans have every right to be angry at what's happened recently, especially over the Super League. They have every right to protest about how their clubs are being run, including with the ownership. And I think some of what happened last night was legitimate and permissible. I think turning up in numbers, showing a strength of force, all of that is fine. I think what it then became, how it spilled over, how they were able to then get into the stadium, even get on the pitch. And then as we know, things got a little bit even further out of hand there when they started smashing up the cameras and stuff like that. that that's where it goes too far. So I completely back the right of fans to protest, but I don't think you can do it like that. And that, that undermines the cause. And it, give, it gives the like sort of the Glazers or whoever else to come out and say, well, you know, this is just turning into thuggery. This is just turning into hooliganism and all, all that kind of stuff. And actually, I think it's, it's so important that fans do protest. I, I don't think it's only their right, but I think it is important at this point yeah. that if fans want to take back some control over what's happening in the game, that they do make their voices heard. And we saw what happened with the collapse of the Super League, and that was partly due to fan power, 
not exclusively, players, managers, others deserve some credit for what happened there. But that was only the beginning. You know, there's other things that <laughs> deserve to be protested, yeah. like the reforms to the Champions League, yeah, for yeah, example, yeah. Yeah, like the way some of these clubs are being run. And I hope that fans do carry on protesting, but they do it in the right way. They yeah. should be consistent, that it doesn't spill over into some... And let's be honest, at the end of the day, we wanted to watch a football game. Yeah. And, and, we were, and we were denied the opportunity to do that as a consequence of what happened. Now, there are others who have to bear some responsibility for that. I cannot believe that the, that the police, the security services associated with Manchester United allowed that situation to happen. It, it didn't come as a surprise. Everybody knew there was going to be a protest. Maybe the scale was a surprise, but everybody knew there would be something around this game, especially such a high-profile game. You could see from what was happening outside the team hotel that this was obviously going to get to a level that was maybe bigger than the authorities initially expected. But to then end up with a situation of so many people running around basically having a kickabout on the pitch at Old Trafford, to me, was just incredible. And even having got to that point, I was very surprised that they weren't able to get the situation under control to such an extent that the game could go ahead. Yeah. I, and, and the noises coming out for a while seemed like that would be the case. So to me, it was a surprising outcome to the whole thing. Yeah. And somebody should, somebody should bear some responsibility for that. You know, I, because I, I, there, was, there was a whole lot of knock-on consequences for, for broadcasters, fans, players, everybody else. I so, agree, agree. I mean, it, it was the biggest game in English football to boycott without being disrespectful to all the other clubs involved. <laughs> but um, as regards to the lawbreakers, just CCTV, I, I think with technology available now, you can exactly. identify them. I hope they will be punished. But... Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, the big picture, it was about uh, displeasure of the owners. We won't go too much into it, but I mean, the, the big picture is to stop all this happening. Um, obviously, a, a lot of English football fans are, are now hoping to, to follow in the footsteps of Germany, where they've got a part fan ownership of every club that plays in the top division. Do you think, Arvin Sidhu, that could ever happen in England? No, in England, I don't think so. This is a it's a sacred rule, really, when 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 politics, football, and even power come into play. A petition has started, by the way, which they've got over 100,000 signatures. What that means is that it has to be debated at the House of Parliament. Um, that Obviously, fans are very unhappy. This is a combination of a few things, like what Craig has said. It's been building up for a while. But when you look at the 50 plus one model, does it work? Majority of the time in the Bundesliga, it does. But there have been certain instances where Bundesliga clubs have been unhappy with it because what you do is you deter investors from coming in. You struggle to attract overseas fans, which a lot of the big six Premier League clubs depend on these days. And to a certain extent, it becomes almost uncompetitive because you look at it this way. Last 10 years, England, you've had five different champions. In the Bundesliga, Bayern are chasing that. Tenth. Eventually, they're going to win 10 Bundesliga titles in a row next year. So while it sounds great that fans have got a huge say and they're involved in the decision-making, I don't think it will come to the English cross because of the nature of how competitive and how much they depend on investment to make it the most competitive and the most branded league in the world. So in that sense, I think it struggled. It will struggle in an English league. It might work in a, in, in a smaller league, which doesn't get as much coverage. So I don't think it will come, but good, in, good enough that the petition has reached that far. Let's yeah. see where it goes from here. Let's yeah, see where yeah, it goes yeah. From. It, it's, it's a romantic idea, but um, in reality, what business owner is going to give half, half what, voting rights to, to Joe Public? 
yeah, we'll wait. We'll keep waiting. All right, let, let's move on. Let's actually cover some of the football that happened here. Nicholas Arnil, Crystal Palace nil, Man City 2. City complete an excellent week, which started with the Carabao Cup win and then a win in Paris and then probably the most glamorous one of all, the win in Southeast London, SE23. Because, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. W- one win away now from being crowned title ch- champions and it was so apt uh, that of all players Sergio Aguero had you know opened the scoring to set City on their way Did, didn't you know, it make uh, you think he's lost nothing with that goal you just saw that absolutely goal absolutely oh. nothing you know which, which makes which makes me back the question which I asked a couple of weeks back why have City ultimately decided to end ties with him you know, there is no way that Aguero, based on evidence of yesterday, you know, he's lost any of that instinct that made him the most fearsome predator in the history of the Premier League. Um, and again, I think City, you know, deep down, they might be questioning their decision to let him go. Because if you look at the current uh, status of the most prolific strikers in the world, they aren't that many to begin with. You have Haaland, you have Mbappe, you have Neymar, okay? Uh, you have Cavani, uh, who, who, who does the job when, when he's able to come on. But apart from that, where, where else can you find a striker that's consistent on a, on a season-in, season-out basis? Now, for Aguero, this season has been the exception because he struggled uh, with injuries. But if you look back at the last 10 years, you know, he's up there. He's up there and, and not many can rival him. You know? He's just one yeah. goal away for matching uh, Wayne Rooney's record of the most goals scored in a, in a single club. So, you know, uh, this, this decision ultimately... Uh, you know, it may, it may be cities to live with at the end of the season, but uh, Aguero has not done his chances any harm, you know, by, by opening the lead. And he could be in contention to start against uh, PSG this midweek as well. So, you know, good on, good on uh, Aguero. Uh, for City, there's nothing else to be said. You know, they, they were a little bit uh, like last time, I would say, in the first half because Crystal Palace had a couple of chances. They could have even scored. Uh, but once they got going, that two goals in two minutes, uh, there was no way back for Crystal Palace. And it's it's only a matter of uh, uh, a day still we, we count down to their title coronation. Yeah, uh, 11th uh, away league uh, away win, equaling the top flight record for most away wins. Uh, Chelsea and City themselves did it in 2017. But um, Pep Guardiola, uh, serial winner, Craig Wilkie. Is he... Do we talk about Pep in legendary status um, in, in terms of do, in future, like five, ten years down the line? I mean, is he that good? Is he that really that good? I think he is. I'll talk about him as a legend in, in five years' time. I know there is that debate in, in some sections of the media, perhaps, maybe even among some supporters of different clubs that he's been at, you know, that... Definitely, he's had some advantages throughout his managerial career. He's tend to find himself at, at good sides, at, at the, the peak of their, with a lot of players at the peak of their careers. He's worked with some of the very best in the game. But you look at his tenure at City, and of course, the Champions League is still the big question mark that, that hangs over it. And this season may or may not prove an answer to that. But he's worked with those players that have been there and made them better. And that, that, that for me, is the, the gauge of a good coach. It's not just about coming in and 
Do you reckon? Do you reckon not playing Aguero is just Pep stubbornness because I can do this without a number nine? Or, or I, I I don't know. It's weird because like Nick pointed out, the guys obviously got good form. I understand you're cutting ties with him end of the season, but surely in some of the games when City have been struggling, right? Yeah. Well, I definitely agree with Nick that I'm perplexed by the decision to let him go, and he seems to have even reached a, a stage of his career whereby he wouldn't be upset even at being more of a squad player yeah. and that he would be prepared to come off the bench. He would yeah. be prepared to, to not start every game. And Pep actually came out and said, if you're a player who doesn't like being rotated, maybe Manchester City is, is not the club for you. And so it, it doesn't just apply to Aguero. A lot of players have found themselves, <laughs> as, as, we know, as we know from our fantasy teams, <laughs> right, that trying to predict Pep's lineup is, is no easy task. But, but that's what he does. And he gets the best out of those players. And this, this game against Palace was just the, what we've seen from City so much of the season. Yeah. They weren't at their best, but they had more than enough. Kept a clean sheet again, showed that defensive solidity. And they have that quality in the, the final third. And Aguero's had it, as Nick said, for many, many years. But the difference with City is they've got six players who could do that in the box, yep. depending on who's playing at a given time. And that's just too much for the rest of the league to, to live with right now. And and uh, Aguero, uh, Pep didn't even use his bench. All the big players, the De Bruyne's, the Foden's, they all stayed on the bench watching the game. All right, um, more about City later. Chelsea 2, Fulham 0. That more or less kills off Fulham's survival chances, I reckon. Um, but for Chelsea, Kai Havertz starred. Could have been a hat-trick. Actually, no, his ruled-out goal was correctly ruled out. But... Two nice goals, Alvin Sidhu. And, and again, Tuchel's got this Chelsea side motoring along very German-like. You know, yes, efficient. And, 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 yeah, efficient. And if, and if Tuchel had this form at the start of the season and if he was in the Chelsea hot six seat at this half start of the season, you would be looking at a two-team two title race because they would have given yeah, City good a point. good run for their money. A good run for their money. Kai Havertz, what a baller of a player. I mean, he really rolled back what he did best at Bayer Leverkusen. He is... Such a silky player, so magical. Obviously, it took him a while to adapt to the Premier League. Maybe Lampard struggled to do that, but uh, his fellow countryman, Thomas Tuchel, seems to know what to do with him. Putting him in that false nine position, which somehow seems to still continuously work. Uh, but overall, really, really impressive. I was looking at the stat, and Eduardo Mendy has had 23 clean sheets. That's, that's just crazy yeah. when you think about the fact that Lampard was there for at least 60% of the season. Uh, the rest of them on the self as well. I mean, Reese James came in, provided an outlet that they needed. Uh, the second goal, Timo Werner provide, was, was providing the assist. A lot of talk would be, they've always talked about, will Chelsea buy a focal point? There's been reports in the press that they might go out and get Romelu Lukaku back in. But Timo Werner, even if you don't play him in that number nine, he can still do a job for yeah, you. He creates. He's got double, That's the thing. Yeah. He's got creates. Du yeah. Double figures of goals and assists. I, is that a flop of a season? Maybe because of the chances he's missed. But from a perspective or output, it's not a flop of a season. It's only because so, of the money spent on them. It's like Kai Havertz. Exactly. It, it's 71 million. I, I don't know how exactly. many how many on games you need to have to pay off 71 million pounds. But uh, Exactly, exactly. And we'll talk about it later, but he missed a glaring chance against Real Madrid last week. But then he came back and he provided an assist and did the job on the weekend. And now he goes up against Real Madrid again. So it's, it's up and down to the life of a footballer, but just really impressive by Chelsea, I feel. All right, brilliant stuff. We're going into our very first break. You stick around back right after this. They are off and running in 2021. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. 
Well, the rules have been clarified and, and they've looked to, to balance things fair in a fair fashion. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. And we're back, Nicholas Arnold, Arvin Sidhu, Craig Wilkie, on this Monday evening. Um, looking back at the weekend's football. Now, I know two gentlemen are not going to like what we're talking about next. Um, Brighton 2, Leeds United 0. Um, not the best result for Leeds, but for Brighton, it's it's a step closer to, to guaranteeing a fifth season in the top flight. Um, arguably, Brighton... Nicholas Arnold went into this game with a lot more to play for. Yeah, they did. And, and it was a justified performance uh, to collect three points against a lead side that put out uh, arguably their worst performance this season, as uh, Irene pointed out before the show began. Um, yeah, credit. No credit should be taken away from Brighton. You know, they, they were quicker to the second balls. They, they, they had more energy. They had more purpose. Uh, and ultimately, you know, they scored two. It could have been more. Uh, what I like from this Brighton side is that, you know, they are slowly producing results, you know, when it matters the most. We, we, we've seen Brighton uh, throughout the season and, and we know that, you know, they are capable of giving any side a run for their money uh, as evidence in the win against Liverpool and some other bigger teams. Uh, but we have not seen that often enough. And, you know, going into this match against the lead side, whom you know will be all out, will be coming all out uh, and, you know, it, it puts on 100% in the pitch. Um, it, it sometimes uh, also plays devil's advocate towards uh, a team like Brighton, you know, who, who may not be adjusted so fast. But kudos to them, you know, they gave it their all. They capitalized on the individual mistakes that Leeds made. And, you know, uh, Danny Welbeck, Danny Welbeck, I think, is a, <laughs> well, a big mention for rolling back the years. Yeah. Uh, the commentator said, you know, he rolled back the years. And this was a Danny Welbeck who could have easily been a Marcus Rashford would have easily been, you know, uh, yeah, Mason yeah. Greenwood, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, at United, you know, even at Arsenal, he had so many chances to fulfill his potential. But I think he's at the right place, you know, he's under a good coach. Um, and what a goal, what a goal, what a, what a he's, goal. He's, yeah, Welbeck's been really unlucky with injuries. But yeah, um, Nick has a point. Leeds going into this game, Arvin, we were saying on Friday night, building up to the game, going, wow, six game unbeaten run. It, it, it's a run that's that where they've, they've taken on Liverpool, Man City and Man United and not lost, right? Um, yeah. But so were you disappointed with the performance? Disappointed. And throwing Chelsea in that in that unbeaten run of six as well, they held Chelsea to nil yeah, yeah, yeah. Allen Road. It, it was disappointing because from the first minute, if you watch that game, you knew that Leeds didn't show up on the day. You knew. You knew that they weren't their usual self. Bielsa was upset on the bench. He was hitting the chair, which is very unlike him. Uh, and the one thing that Leeds have got to be very wary of next season is that whenever Calvin Phillips is out of the squad, and this was again evident on the weekend, whenever he's out of the squad, they lose more than they actually win. Calvin Phillips is such an important part of that squad that they don't have a like-for-like replacement. That's one of the areas that they need to. Yes, Leeds miss players. They miss Rafina. Rafina wasn't there. Captain Cooper wasn't there. But there's still no excuse. And somehow, as much as it, it hurts me to say, Graham Potter has got, got one over Bielsa, not once, but twice, because he's yeah. beaten him both home and away. Yeah. So, yeah, so credit to Brighton, but Leeds were not at the races on the day. And for me, not acceptable because of the standards that Bielsa has set so far. Yeah, and 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 let's talk a little bit about Potter and, and Brighton, because he's he's passed his test, hasn't he, Craig Wilkie? I mean, they, they, they're safe. So... How does he build on next season? Where, do, you, do you think Brighton can be the type of team looking at Europa League every season? Do you, do you think they're good enough to be that kind of team? Maybe not every season, but 
I Potter does deserve a lot of credit in my book. And I've watched a fair amount of Brighton play this season. And almost every time they've impressed me. Yeah. The results have not always boring to watch, way, are they? But in terms of the way they've gone about it, and not just from the sense of playing pretty football, which we all like to see. And, and they do have that way of playing. You know, they do like to knock it around. They like to play out from the back. They've created chances. And what's been their Achilles heel over the course of the season is they haven't created as high a percentage of those chances as they would wish. But, and that's cost them some points at crucial times. But they've kept playing in that way. And almost every game that I've seen Brighton, it doesn't matter who it's against, whether it's against Leeds, whether it's against Manchester United, whoever, they've made the game competitive. And they've been in games for, for long spells. And I, I've never really seen a team dominate Brighton this season. And that's what Potter will be looking to build on. He'll be saying, you know, guys, week in, week out, you've been delivering very good performances, playing in a good way. You just have to be a little bit more clinical, either cutting out the individual mistakes at the back, which have cost them on occasion, or turning those chances into goals. And if they can do that, then I don't know about Europa League, but I would expect them to finish higher up the league next season than has been the case this season. There's already talk of people looking at Yves Pissouma as uh, yeah, you know, you can see them losing players at the end of the season as well. Um, all right, well done, Brighton, for now. Uh, let's hope it carries on to the end of the season. Everton won, Aston Villa two. Everton went into this game. They were, what, six points off the top four. Carlo Ancelotti then said it was a um, big opportunity missed. It's more than likely, I mean, that with a Chelsea result, that's their top four aspirations gone, Everton. They've been disappointing, Nick, this season, haven't they, the Toffees? Extremely, and especially at home. Their away form has been magnificent, but their home form was like, uh, it goes one victory in 10 games or, or uh, 19 points in, in the last 17 games or something like that. Absolutely abysmal. And, uh, you know, if not for Jordan Pickford, uh, Everton would have lost by a bigger margin. Yeah. He actually saved them and did his England chances no harm because uh, national coach Gareth Southgate was in the stand. But it was that centre-back combination again that, you know, uh, left Everton undone. Uh, I think Ancelotti has had to tweak his uh, combination so many times. You know, he's played Yerimena and I think Yerimena is injured. So, uh, Michael Keane came in and Michael Keane's error last week uh, resulted in him being benched. And Ben, God ben Godfrey actually partnered uh, Mason Holgate, but it was Holgate's uh, mistake that gifted uh, Villa the opener. Uh, going forward, I thought uh, Everton had a lot of chances. You know, Dominic calvin Lewin. Looked really sharp, but you know, ultimately, it was the defending that really undone um, Everton, and that is something that has been going on ever since Ancelotti had taken over. Not only this season, last season, and he's still yet to find a formula to rectify that mistake. So, you know, as for for as much creativity and fluidity they have up front, if they keep gifting teams goals, there's no way they're going to get into Europe this season. Yeah. Um, uh... And uh, Gareth Southgate watching England boss would have been quite pleased. Calvert-Lewin put in a good shift. Pickford put in a good shift. Ollie Watkins also, because he's been in, in, in Southgate's thoughts recently. It was a good win for Villa overall, Arvin Sidhu. They've had a good season. You'd give them a B probably if you were about to grade their end-of-season report card, wouldn't you? I think Dean Smith has done fantastic for them, not just this season. I mean, firstly, you 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 come up, you get promoted. Second season, you obviously battle it and you're you're on the last day, you stay up. 
And then this season, you are in the top 10 after a win like last night. So what what there's progression every year. So yeah. Deep for me gets gets a B plus in his overall Villa career. And it's it's he's done really well. And you consider the fact that Villa, I was looking at the stat, they've actually hit the bar the most in this season. They've got 20 shots that have actually hit the bar. <laughs> consider the fact wow. that they consider the fact that if, if those balls went in, how much potentially higher they could have been because you know goals gets you points. And also keep in mind, this was a Villa squad that wasn't at its full strength. The, the much, much, much needed Jack Grealish was not there, but they still were able to create cover, cover over three. So Villa have been very impressive this season. They've always been battling or trying to get that one more extra game that they need to play because of rescheduled games. They always seem to be that team that needs to play one more, two more games to catch up with everyone else. But when they are given that opportunity, they deliver. And I thought, I thought they did well. Tyron Mings for me was great at the back. What Everton would do to have someone like Tyron Mings at their back. And, and El Ghazi as well. El Ghazi, what a finish for that, that last yeah. concert. Good run of form. Agreed. So very, very well, well for, for Villa. I'm very, very impressed with them this season. All right. Uh, going into the break with uh, Craig Wilkie telling us what Everton need to be consistent top four challenges. Because obviously they've got the manager of type in Ancelotti. They've got money with Moschini and, you know, and, and his millions. So who've they got to buy? I mean, they tried bringing in James Rodriguez. He's shown for a while, obviously doesn't like the weather up, up north. <laughs> what, what do you reckon they need? And you've got a minute to tell me. <laughs> well, okay. So the word used was consistency. Let, let's forget who they might bring in. Can he get those players to produce a seven out of 10 every week? And that's the problem with Everton. They're, they're good is so good. And their bad is so bad. And they, <laughs> yeah. just, they just need to close that gap so that they don't have those really bad performances where they're, they're never going to be in the game. And that, I think, is what Ancelotti will be working on in the short term before he thinks about what reinforcements he's looking for. That's brilliant. That's like 40 seconds. Superb. <laughs> Total pro. Total pro. We go into the break all smiley and stuff. Uh, see you on the other side of this. Immediate thrust, recognisable certainty, and a nasty dig in the ribs. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. Five yards out, unchallenged, unmarked, makes absolutely no mistake. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. Hey, thanks for sticking around. Nicholas Arnil, Arvin Sidhu, Craig Wilkie joining me this Monday evening to look back at the weekend's football. You can tweet at BFM Radio. You can find us individually on Twitter. Also follow us on social media. It's BFM Football on Instagram and on Facebook. Uh, Newcastle nil, Arsenal two was the Sunday night game. Aubameyang scoring on his first start since recovering from malaria. Arsenal, we said on Friday, Arvin. Arsenal, you just don't know which one will turn up, but you, which one will play well, which one is overpaid because they they look every kind of everything uh, from week to week. They do. But if there's one thing that Arsenal should follow and Arteta should follow is that every time Gabriel Martinelli starts, they don't lose. So maybe that's something that he should look at doing. Just continuously play Martinelli because he'll make sure that they don't lose. Uh, but yeah, on the day itself, I thought they, they outplayed. They outplayed um, Newcastle. El Nani with his first league goal. I thought that was a really nice goal. Aubameyang, unfortunately, had a missed kick before that. But El Nani with the finish that I didn't think... He would. He had it in him, but it was still a very, very good goal. There was a concern, though, and I can't believe I'm saying this. There was a concern that David Lewis is injured, though, because I thought he started the game really well. He was spinning the balls down on the flanks, which the Arsenal wingers were getting at the back of Newcastle. And his experience is needed, especially when they go into the Europa League game this coming week, which is literally 
now when you look at it, their most important game of the season because they need yeah. to get to that final to salvage something of this season. So in overall sense, they, they'll be happy, but they went up against a Newcastle side, which has got a horrible record against Arsenal. So I'm not surprised by the result, but it's just continuing that momentum that they need to do right now for Arsenal. Yeah, Craig, um, Newcastle, <clears throat> I, was, I was reading... Um... Wilson, it's, it's Callum Wilson's the only one who's hit double figures, 10. And then you've got Joe Linton, you've got Elmiron, you've got all the others who've just chipped in with 10 other goals. You see the problem there as well. But that aside, I mean, Steve Bruce has done a commendable job, really, don't you think? I think he's done a pretty decent job overall in fairly difficult circumstances. And despite that, though, he, he does have some good quality players there. Uh, that list that you just mentioned and... You know, I, I look at it and with Wilson coming back in the team, one of the problems that Newcastle have had is that they haven't really had a settled first 11 for a lot of the season. He's had to chop and change it a lot, sometimes through injuries, sometimes, you know, players have had COVID or, or whatever. I know a lot of other sports have had those issues as well, but Newcastle seem to have been quite badly hit at certain points. But they're another club that consistency-wise, you know, I, I the fans must be so frustrated because... One week they'll turn up and they'll play. <laughs> you, know, you, you look at the performance against Liverpool at, at Anfield and yeah. not, not, just, not just how well they played in terms of the quality of the football, but that hunger and drive and desire to come back again late in the game and keep going. And there didn't seem to be that much evidence of that against Arsenal just seven days later. You know, and I think that's both for managers and fans, that's the frustration is how can the same group of players you know, go from that one weekend to, to something so different the next weekend and you know Newcastle at one point looks as if they might end up in a little bit of trouble I think they played themselves out of that but we've we've spoken about it before the issues go way beyond Steve Bruce and and those players and the club as a whole you know where are they going to go in the future what's what's the ownership going to be you know th- those fans have a right to protest we, we've talked about the the so-called big six but if any fan base deserve to you know <laughs> go, and, <laughs> go and make their feelings known outside of a ground then it's, it's probably Newcastle's so Let's just hope that they have something a bit better to look forward to next season because I think they deserve it, those Geordies. I reckon they've got a proper section in St. James's, just constant protesting. <laughs> just <laughs> sit here, sign here, tag in here. Um, all right. Uh, Spurs 4, Sheffield United nil. Gareth Bale hit a hat-trick over already relegated Blades. Um, Bale had a dig, I'm sure, at Jose after the game saying, you know... I play well when I'm happy, Nicholas Arnil. And it's strange that Gareth Bale actually mentioned Nicholas Arnil as well, specifically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it was amazing performance by Gareth Bale. Undoubtedly, his best performance uh, this season. And, and you could see that, you know, the shackles were off. Uh, there, there wasn't any stress uh, in this first side, um, you know, going up against the Sheffield United side that I had already been relegated uh, for me, this was a performance uh, by Gareth Bale to not only, you know, uh, sort of take a dig at Jose, but also, you know, it's, it's, it, it, it poses a bigger question mark on his future. Because as we know, uh, he is going back, scheduled to go back to Real Madrid at the end of the season. He's on loan. Uh, but a performance like this does his chances no harm. And, you know, if you look at the Spurs squad, you know, uh, besides Harry Kane, besides Son, I would rank Gareth Bale right up there with the rest. Of course, you have uh, the likes of Eric Lamela and, and Lucas Mora, but but Gareth Bale has this this undoubted quality, you know, that that makes him stand out in a special way. And just by evidence of of the three goals which he scored, you know, the first goal was a deaf flick, 
uh, you know, for the opening strike. And then the second one was a master blaster and he completed a brilliant hat-trick. So, you know, Garrett Bale is playing for his future. It wasn't just this performance. Um, and it came at the right time because it's already towards the tail end of the season. Now it, it, it throws the question back to Spurs, you know, do they want to keep him? Are they, you know, just willing to keep him here for a year? Uh, because, you know, they haven't seen the best out of him. I think Gareth Bale, for the amount of appearance he's made, has only been operating at 40% capacity, you know. And well, given the chance, if he gets to feature till the end of the season, you know, there's a lot more to come from him. That's a, that's a good point you just made there. The fact that Bale has mostly played not at full capacity, you could argue not even at half capacity half most of the time. When Arvin Sidhu, we've seen that you can actually come out, score a hat-trick, all right, it was Sheffield United, maybe that's the caveat. But did, did Jose miss out on a trick here, or, or is Bale being really prima donna-ish? Bit of both. Uh, I yeah. agree with Nick that the, the, the talent is undoubtedly there. It's always been there. But again, now you look back, it's been at least four years since he's been consistently even playing eight to ten games in a row. He doesn't do that. It's just not made for him. And as years go by, it's harder for you to get into that groove. I read, I read an article after the game where it said that if Gareth Bale is happy that's when he produces these kind of performances. Well, well, sorry, Gareth Bale, it's not a matter of everyone making you happy. You have this to be up it. for it. Yeah, exactly. You yeah. have to be up for it and doing it. So uh, that there's, we can count the number of times he's done it this season and against a Sheffield United where they might as well just have Oprah Winfrey shouting three points for everyone because that's what they do. They just give three points for everyone. <laughs> do you actually look at that and consider, I don't think Spurs can afford keeping him for another season. Under Zidane at Madrid, he will not have a future. So really, where does he go? So I think a lot of it is down to Bale because he hasn't done this consistently. And for whatever reason, one way or the other, injuries, managerial disputes, and it's not his first. He's had it with his Zidane. He's having it with Jose. You have to sometimes as a player look at yourself also and think, what more could I have done? Yeah, yeah. It's weird. Being one of the top players in the world, you don't want to be attached to a club. You don't want hero worship and all that. Instead, you're quite happy playing golf. And um, All right. <laughs> Two more games in the EPL this tonight, uh, in fact, to, to complete the, uh, the set. Obviously, except Man United-Liverpool. Uh, that's a big set, not complete there. Uh, West Brom take on Wolves. It's a Tuesday 1 a.m. kickoff. Now, West Brom, maybe... We, we, we talked about Fulham before and, and how, how Scott Parker maybe has a chance. West Brom probably are, are the closest team to achieving a get-out-of-jail clause. Uh, Nicholas Arnold, if it all happens, it's massive if. But if they win this, and let's face it, Wolves are not in good form. Yeah, agreed. Um, Wolves are not in good form, but uh, this West Brom side will have to produce a Chelsea-esque performance when they beat them 5-2. That's the only way I see West Brom getting anything out of this. Because as bad as Wolves have been, you know, apart from the heavy defeat to Burnley last week, they are always a very compact side. You know, they will make life difficult for you. And it's not going to be easy for West Brom to make inroads, especially with the squad that they've got. I look at the team, you know, apart from Matthias Pereira, there isn't many personnel who could, who could be game changers. And what West Brom need at this point of the season are game changers. Someone who can make an impact, someone who can create something out of nothing. And, you know, they need to do it um, against, if, if there is any time for them to do it, it's against this Wolves side. 
So um, my my mind is not on West Brom because they've just not done it on a consistent basis since the start of the season. We all thought that you know a uh, big Sam, he's the master savior. He's going to come and 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 do what he always does. But even him can uh, you know change the fortunes of this West Brom side who have not uh, been good at all simply because they have not invested. Uh, they did not get tactics right, and and for for many other reasons. Uh, but I think the damage has already been done. Um, it'll be good to see them try and produce uh, a magic out of the bag, but um, I, I don't see it. Yeah, Wolves are just drifting towards the end of the, the season now. Uh, 1am kickoff that one West Brom against Wolves. Burnley against West Ham is the battle of the Claret and Blues. I hope one team is going to wear the away kit. Uh, Tuesday 3.15, this one kicks off. Uh, the, the Hammers can get back to winning ways, Craig Wilkie, and reignite their top four hopes. I know they've they're coming off the back of two losses now. Um, but they still have Jesse Lingard. They still have all those players. But they, they're still missing, crucially, Rice and Antonio. Yeah, given that West Ham have done phenomenally well to still be in this position at this point in the season. You know, we're talking about four or five games left. And who would have thought we'd be having this conversation about West Ham still being in with a shout of a Champions League place? So... <laughs> The job that Moyes has done in those players to get to that position is fantastic. I do fear, though, that they're going to come up a little bit short. Just as you see, the last couple of games, you could see maybe they're just running out of steam a little bit or the confidence levels, whatever it might be, those, those two defeats were pretty damaging. They have to get back on track straight away. And it's not going to be easy against Burnley because we know that they've kind of come back into form a little bit just in the last two or three weeks themselves. Though I was looking at West Ham's run-in and... It's okay. So after Burnley, they've got Everton, Brighton, West Brom, Southampton. Hmm. Not, not, not the easiest fixture list in the world, but you could definitely have a lot harder yeah. for your last four or five games trying to qualify for the Champions League. And that's what Moyes will be telling his players. You have come this far. You're still in with a shot. These four or five games left to go, you give your absolutely everything from those. And, and who knows what could happen? And because a lot of the other clubs have still got to play each other as well. You know, in, a, in and around that, the top kind of, yeah. From Chelsea all the way down to, you know, six or seven. A lot of those teams have sold to play each other as well. So there will be points dropped between now and the end of the season. And that race is still very much alive. All right. Ashley Barnes is available again for, for Burnley. For the Hammers, Aaron Cresswell, Declan Rice, Arthur Masuaku out. Maybe Mikel Antonio might be available. Fabian Balbuena's ridiculous red card against Chelsea has been rescinded, so he's available. That's a 3.15 a.m. kickoff. Final break. Back with the midweek European Games right after this. No happy return, but a reality check bordering on a rude awakening. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. For this season, off and running with a goal inside eight minutes. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. And here we are, Nick, Arvin and Craig looking forward to the Champions League happening midweek. Man City and PSG are nicely poised. Uh, the, the guys on Friday, especially Craig, reckons this one is far from over. Um, at the weekend, Neymar scored one, set another up. PSG beat Lens to move top of League 1 briefly because Lille went back top on Saturday with a 2-0 win over Nice. Um but uh, Neymar seems to be the defining factor here, Nicholas Arnold. If, if he doesn't roll around and try and mow the lawn, <laughs> and if he stays on his feet, he's actually a good baller and he could turn it. 
He is, and in, and he's been immense uh, for PSG in the Champions League, especially. You know, yeah. we looked how they 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 knocked out uh, Bayern Munich, and it was largely due to Neymar. But uh, I don't think he will, he should be operating alone. Uh, PSG have uh, this big concern uh, on the fitness of uh, Kylian Mbappe, and you know he is absolutely instrumental uh, to their chances as well. Uh, if they have this double pronged threat, then City will face problem because we know how this game is likely going to pan out. You know, uh, PSG are going to come hot and heavy. Uh, to try and get that uh, away goal, and uh, City are going to try and look to hit them on the break. And, and we know that City, they have two away goals. They're not going to rush into things. Uh, PSG are, uh, and they need pace. They need pace, and they need accuracy. Um, and it's uh, Mbappe and Neymar that will have to try and do the job for them. So if PSG have Mbappe back fit, uh, I think their chances are much greater. If not, uh, I I see City just uh, holding this out because uh, Pep is a master tactician. Uh, he knows how not to blow away. A two two goal away lead. So, uh, Kylian Mbappe very very crucial uh, to feature in this match. Yeah, he's struggling <clears throat> with a calf injury at the moment. Kylian Mbappe. He so he wasn't rest at the weekend. Uh, Di Maria and Marco Verratti started on the bench for PSG. For Pochettino, it's a free hit this one. Um, you know they they they're a couple of goals away from the final, and he's got the players capable of doing this. But who do you fancy, Arvid? City or PSG in this one? Oh, we've seen some really good heroics from PSG away from home this season. I mean, when you look at what they've been able to do in the previous rounds, go and win at Bayern, go and win at, at Barcelona. But like what Nick pointed out, you're up against a, a, a team which just doesn't throw away leads. Uh, you expect you expect City to score. City will score, for, for my, my view. And when they do, then where does that leave PSG? So I still feel City will, will make it through. Uh, PSG have done tremendously well. And for Pochettino, while I don't feel he'll be judged on this Champions League run, he will be judged on Ligue 1. And he needs to deliver Ligue 1. He's been chasing Lille for a while. They've lost far too many games at home under Pochettino, which they should not have done. So it's going to be very interesting to see what happens in Ligue 1. So I think if they get eliminated in the Champions League, it's not the end of it all because of the success that they had last season. But uh, for me, it's still City, City, City to go through on this one because of the experience and Pep as a manager, he will yeah. he will know what he needs to do and the rest of players that he will bring back from the, over the weekend as well. Yeah, uh, three a.m. on Wednesday, uh, Man City against PSG, uh, Chelsea and Real Madrid are poised at one-one. They meet Thursday at Stamford Bridge, three a.m. Um, Real Madrid at the weekend, they, well, they remain two points behind Atletico. Uh, Eden Militao and Casemiro scored. Uh, they beat Osasuna at the weekend. Um, it's amazing that this Real team, we are saying, are in with a shout to become champions. They're, they're badly shorn from normal Real Madrid squads of, of, of past and all that. But I think it's a testament to how well Zidane is managing this group of players. Uh, even what thirty-four-year-old Benzema banging them in, Craig Wilkie. Yeah, good point. And the the goal they scored in the first leg was just that was that was class. That goal wasn't it? Yeah. And he's. I've said before that I feel he's such an underrated player, Benzema. He's he's never really been considered a Galactico or whatever at, at Madrid, but how consistently he's done a job of leading the line and the goals he scored, the important goals that he scored. You know, if, if you wanted that ball to drop to someone in the box, then it would be him. And how he dispatched it was just phenomenal. Uh, we talked about, you know, what a finely poised tie 
City PSG is, but 1-1 going in the second leg just sets it up for, for all sorts in this one. Uh, what Chelsea did very well away from home was what Liverpool didn't do against Real Madrid, which was try and nullify that midfield. You know, not let Modric and Cruz get a grip of things and start dictating play. And that will be the starting point again of how Tuchel approaches this thing. You know, make sure that it's very tight. Make sure you don't give them any time on the ball. And then once they've done that, Chelsea will start to think about how they get forward and how they start to cause them problems, which, which they can. And uh, Mason Mount, I mean, I watched, I watched how he played at the weekend and what a talented young player he is. And the way he's grown and matured over the course of the season in the Premier League and also in the Champions League. And there's a player that you can go and almost build a team around. I think, I think he's that good. I think he will become that sort of a player for Chelsea, possibly for England as well. And that could be the key to the outcome of this, you know, who, who can really shine on the night and, and, and take it to the next level. But you also mentioned Zidane. And the one thing that Zidane has is this ability to get the very best out of whatever squad, whatever team he has yeah, yeah. on the very, very biggest occasions. And he's done it time and time again. And it wouldn't be a surprise at all if he were to do it one more time here. Well, this is it. He's a man who, who knows all about the big occasions. All right, Nicholas, I know I'm going to ask you what Chelsea have to do to go through here. Tuchel has, has changed his formation a few times and I, I don't think he knows his first 11 because we've seen, we've seen Kai Howard's play as, as a lone striker but before that you know, we've, we've seen so many other players. What they need to do is they need to score and keep things tight at the back. As, as Arvin had pointed out earlier in, in, in the show, you know, uh, uh, Mendy has been immense uh, for them at the back. In fact, before last week's encounter, I think he had saved 70% of his, of his uh, shots. So... You know, keeping it tight at the back and ultimately getting the goals. But where will the goals come from? You see, they've changed their strikers so many times. Will he start with Howards? Will Timo Werner play there? Will Giroud come into play? Will Abraham come into play? It remains to be seen. Yeah. For, for Real Madrid, a possible ace in the pack for them is Eden Hazard. Big money signing, of course. Uh, he started to make his comeback. He, he, he had 60 minutes here and there, like 40 minutes. Um, Arvin Sedu. Can he turn it for Real Madrid? Would he be the one, you reckon? Not from the start. I don't expect Zidane to start him, but he played fantastically well in the first, in the first game. After Adam Militao, I thought he was a man of the match for, for Real because Militao was an absolute beast at the back. But the one thing that, that Real have going for them into this game is that uh, while, while Chelsea will consolidate and are very hard to break down, Real have got the likes of Sergio Ramos, uh, Ferlan Mendy and Federico Valverde to come back. When you have those three bodies and the fact that he is rested Tony Cruz and Luka Modric over the weekend, which is huge because those players literally play almost every game for Real. But the fact that he didn't even use them from the bench, you expect them to go to, to be raring to go. So I expect I expect Real to score, but it's a matter of what what can they do to kind of and Nick pointed out very really well. It's figuring out what Tuchel's going to do with that attack. It's very interesting because Tuchel, I think he's got a personal agenda to try and win this because of last season's Champions League. Unfortunately, yeah, yeah. he didn't win it. So I feel like he wants to do this, but never discount Real on big European nights like this because they're chasing the 14th and it wouldn't surprise me to see them in the final. All right, Thursday, 3 a.m., that one kicks off. Arsenal, uh, Villarreal is nicely poised in the Europa League, uh, trailing 2-1 against Villarreal. At the weekend, Villarreal beat uh, um, Getafe 1-0. They're, they're in sixth. They're not having a bad season, Craig Wilkie. Do you think the Gunners can get through? This one, because it's massive for them. It's arguably even bigger than the rest of their league games, right? It is. It, it is that big a game from an Arsenal perspective. Uh, 
I am not altogether convinced that they will have it in them to pull it off, if I'm being honest. Um, they, we've talked about Arsenal for many weeks now, and we made the point earlier in the show, you know, which, which version of that side is, is going to show up. And not even just as a collective, but individual players. You, you look at Aubameyang, and I actually thought, not only did he score a wonderful goal the other night, but he looked sharper, hungrier, more focused than I've seen him for a long time, which is a, which is a big thing for Arteta, and he will take a lot of positives from that going into a game like this. But the other question mark over Arsenal is the mentality. You know, when you come to such a big game as this, how do you handle the pressure? How do you handle the expectation? And I'm not even sure that Arsenal go into it as favourites. I don't think they do when they're trailing from the, the first leg. But when you talk about it as such a huge game in their season, you talk about it as potentially salvaging their season, and we know it's been a very difficult season for mm, Arsenal, mm. Can, can they cope with that sort of expectation? And that's a question that that squad has maybe buckled under several times already this season, maybe going back two or three seasons now. And that's... That's one of those things that Arteta is going to have to work on. But to do that, you have to put yourself in these situations. You know, you can only see how your players handle this type of a night if, if you're playing in them on a consistent basis. So at least from that point of view, he has this opportunity to, to see how they do. But as you pointed out as well, Villarreal are, are no mugs. You know, yeah. they're, they're a decent team doing okay. And in La Liga, Emery so, might know a thing or yeah, two yeah, about yeah. it. <laughs> exactly. So I, I think it'll be a close game. It'll be a tough game. But I, I definitely make Villarreal favourites. All right. Uh, the the other the other Europa League tie, Arvin, can can Roma beat Man United four 0 at the Stadio Olimpico and, and go through on the away goals rule? No, Roma did it to Barcelona a couple of years ago, but they ain't doing this one. They're really looking at Maurizio Sarri coming in to replace. Uh, they faded in Serie A as well, haven't they? they? They faded, yeah, they faded. They're really looking at new managerial opponents for next season. I mean, you look at that, the current players thinking the current manager is not going to be there. And this this is too too much too much of a gap to make up. So no, United are definitely one foot in the final. Actually, I would say both feet in the final. It's just a question of who the who who's going to be joining them in in the final. That's all. All right. Quick look at the Malaysian Super League. Eleven rounds have been played. Nicholas Anil this weekend. KL United one, JDT one. That's two weeks running now. The perennial champions have dropped points. What that has meant is that you've now got three points separating the top four in, in Malaysia, in the MSL. Uh, after 11 games, it's, it's never been this close. Not, not as far as I can remember. Not for a long time. Yeah, it's, it's been a breath of fresh air. Uh, we've seen JDT dominating season after season. In fact, uh, in 2016, it was the closest uh, race when Felda United the then Felda United, they are now defunct already, uh, but they pushed them the furthest. Yeah. Uh, and ever since, it's, it's been a walk in the park. Uh, and that's what we want to see, you know, not only from the Malaysian League, but, you know, I'm sure uh, German fans want to see the same thing in the Bundesliga. Yeah, 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 uh, as well, you know, you want to see competition. You want to see a three-horse race or four-horse race. Uh, you want to see competition because it increases attention and it also bodes well. Uh, for the national team because are, are you are you surprised are, are you surprised that the closest challenges are Kada? They've consistently now in the last few seasons they've been the closest really, haven't they? Yeah, Kada have been the closest, and, and I and I like the way that they have transitioned because when Tan Cheng Ho left to take on the national team job, they got a great successor in Ideal Shari. He's just come on and he steadied the ship and he's brought on players with quality and he's blended them with young players and and so it's good to see state sides, you know, big. State sides like Kedah giving uh, the likes of JDT a run for their money. But it's not only that. You know, you have the new boys as well. Uh, Penang have done amazing yeah. since being promoted. 
you know even KL under Boyan Hodak we knew we always know that Boyan's team are going to be very difficult to break down and we saw that at the weekend and so PJ it's, it's City man PJ City yeah PJ City as well yeah. uh, you know all local cast you know they are epitome of of what uh, local boys can do you know yeah. they are, they are proof that you don't need the, the the imports to a certain extent you know you can't get the locals to do the job and we have enough quality in our league All right, let, let, let's let's have the last word with the Trunganuan in 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 our midst. Um, Craig Wilkie going into the weekend's fixtures. Trunganu were were looking at top of the table. They were at home to Penang. They just beaten JDT away, no mean feat. Um, the the week before, but you capitulated four one at home. That that I mean. <laughs> That kind of says everything about the way Malaysian football's been, uh, season after it's, season. You know what I mean. So it's it. You're looking for consistency, aren't you? It says something about what happened. Yeah, I I went into the weekend feeling very confident on the back of that GDT I, I result. Saw, I saw I, you wearing the kit and everything. That's right. I I had my my top on on Saturday, and I was I was predicting top of the league or or something thereabouts. I think in in my brief experience as a Trangano fan, that that's been kind of the story. You know. One or two great results followed by an inexplicably poor performance, and the consistency is is really what what that club needs in order to sustain a challenge. But just to go back to what Nick said, you know, I've I've been a champion of local football for a while now. I think the I think the quality here in Malaysia, of course, it could be better, but it's it's not bad at all, and I think it's getting better overall. And you know, the 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 title race that we have now is a combination. Yes, JDT standard has dropped a little bit from what it was maybe in the past two or three seasons. But those others have actually stepped up and and made themselves a bit better, and they're getting more out of those players. And I think it's brilliant for the league. It's great that we've got some fans back in. Who knows if that wasn't remain the case? But hopefully, you know, later this year, next year, we can get you know, full stadiums, somewhere close to full stadiums, and people really getting behind the league. And I've I've watched a lot of a lot of the games this season, and I've seen some really really good games here in the yeah. Malaysia Super League, yeah. not just in Ghana games, but ac- across the board, some really exciting stuff, a lot of goals. Well worth watching. Well said. Well said. I'm a firm believer that the 50 plus one rule is 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 ideal for Malaysian Super League for Malaysian football. Right. That's where we're going to leave it for now. Nicholas Arnil, thank you very much. Thank you, Ross. Arvin Sidhu, have a great week. Thanks, everyone. Enjoy the Champions League football. And Craig Wilkie, cheers, mate. Cheers. Have a good week. Yep. Have a great week, everybody. Uh, speak to you on Friday. Bye now. Off the ball every Monday on BFM eighty nine point nine. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm dot my or find us on iTunes. BFM eighty nine point nine, the business station.